Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Shortly we'll hear from the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Neil Chatterjee, a Lexington native who now holds a powerful position overseeing the power grid and addressing concerns about pollution and the energy resources available in the U.S. That's later. But first, what a race we have for Kentucky governor. Polling indicated this week the race is a tie with just over two weeks to go before the election. The Mason-Dixon poll pegs the race at 46% for Republican Governor Matt Bevin and 46% for his Democratic challenger Andy Beshear. What factors could tilt the results in the short weeks ahead? What effect will a trip from President Trump in support of Bevin have on the race? How much difference does it make that Rocky Adkins, who rolled to victory in the Eastern Kentucky Mountains in the Democratic primary, is now working hard urging his supporters to turn out for Beshear? Joining us this morning will be two Kentuckians involved in the political scene. Both have experience in campaigns. Christian Motley, a Democratic activist, following the campaign very closely and pushing for a victory for Andy Bashir in the governor's race. And Adam Haley, the Republican Party of Kentucky's youth chairman. He's working hard to reelect Governor Matt Bevan. First, let's take a look at some of the hot moments in that Kentucky debate at the University of Kentucky as the candidates for governor. At times, uh, the audience as well uh, took stands of their own. Well, not only did this governor try to illegally cut the retirements of our teachers, police officers, social workers, and firefighters, he stuck it in a sewer bill. In response to that, number one, legislators are the ones who pass bills. They decide what gets stuck in what. Your complete incompetence as it relates to understanding the legislative process is a little bit concerning for a guy who wants to be the governor. You love education, public education, so much that your kids go to private school. Is that right? You're attacking I mean, my kids the now? No, I'm not. I'm just saying you're a fraud. This is red tape. This is paperwork, and it is intended to tear health care away from people. I will always stand up against that, and I'm going to rescind that Medicaid waiver in my first week of office. Number one, number, you're going to rescind something that hasn't even been granted yet. Again, you have no clue what you're even talking about. This is tied up in federal court. Everything that you're threatening is not true, and the things that you're saying I said are not true. The you're AHPs lying. don't have to cover Stop pediatrics. Lying, He's going to be at a fundraiser in Washington, D.C. with the lobbyist for, for uh, one of the largest opioid distributors in the country. They're called McKesson. These are such absolute remarkable lies. And the fact that I do not stand up to this while you have brought in zero to the people of Kentucky. So it's, the question, it's the drone that helps you to uh, make sure you can manage an acre and not just a field. We've got to increase yeah. our food supply 70% in the next 30 years. These are agri-tech jobs I'll that just you're promising. The question. You're, no, you're not answering the question. The question is what are we going to do for people who are in our skilled trades and for unions? And you're talking about things for which these people have neither training nor are there any unions whatsoever representing those things you've just mentioned. I thought your there question was none. what was agri-tech? Okay, let's get right to our discussion. So it was a very interesting evening uh, to be uh, on stage, let me tell you, uh, and uh, uh, certainly a lively night in which uh, the uh, audience was also a lively uh, audience. very participative, <laughs> right? Uh, so we saw passion on display from the crowd and from the candidates. Uh, what did we learn from watching that debate? Well, my, my initial uh, thought is just that uh, the governor was very angry. Um, you'd have thought that somebody said something about his daddy. Uh, and his children and called him a fraud. Uh, but that's what he was saying to the guy across the stage. Um, you know, I, I, I hate, the, I, I haven't seen an incumbent sort of uh, behave that way on the stage. I think um, Andy Bashir was doing his best to try to have a, a sober 
robust conversation about the issues that are most important to Kentuckians, and I think that's what uh, this election should be about. What was your well, take? You know, I, I have to disagree. I think Kentuckians in 2015 elected a governor that was not part of the political establishment, that they wanted to see something different uh, from their leaders in Frankfurt. And uh, frankly, with Attorney General Bashir, uh, he, he did the governor a service by coming out with the same talking points he's parroted the entire campaign. Uh, so it made it pretty easy to counterpunch, and I, I like to see the governor come out swinging. Was there a, some kind of a, a, you know authenticity gap on the stage? Would you agree? As uh, he seems to be uh, alluding to, was uh, uh, Bashir too rehearsed, uh, uh, and and is at the same time is the governor too too off the cuff? Yeah, I do think there's a difference between the candidates. I mean, I've, I've said from the beginning that that I thought that Andy Bashir um, was a very disciplined candidate, and uh, that that is a contrast to to our governor. Um, but like I said, he's also been very consistent about the issues that are important in this race, and it's pensions, it's health care, and it's education. I, I agree. I, I think you know, the governor's been consistent himself, but he's been consistent in actions. Um, when it comes to uh, funding the teachers' pensions, it's been actually contributing the money to the pensions as required. Uh, when it comes to funding education, it's record-seek funding. Uh, so I, I do agree consistency is important, but there's consistency in talk and then there's consistency in action. But what voters, what voters know, and I think a lot of educators know, is that when it comes to teachers' pensions, uh, the governor wants less teachers to be receiving that pension in the future. It's the same with Medicaid. We know that the governor would like to have less people uh, receiving that service. That's why we have the work requirement uh, in the waiver that he has submitted. Uh, again, I think that uh, what Andy Bashir uh, is trying to do is, is talk about um, what leadership looks like that really sort of values um, what health care means to folks every day and what retirement security means to our educators. The Senate, you know, at this point, uh, uh, certainly uh, there can come uh, events out of anywhere in this campaign that can affect it. The Senate Republicans uh, earlier this week said that any gaming proposal is dead on arrival if it uh, if it uh, comes uh, to that chamber. Uh, Bashir has said that that could bring a significant revenue that could be applied to pensions and maybe to teachers raises. He says it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, the Senate Republicans say uh, it's a non-starter if it arrives in that chamber. Well, I any revenue is good revenue, but expanded gaming, medical marijuana, that they're not nearly enough to patch the holes in the leaky bucket that is the pensions. Furthermore, this isn't a partisan exercise on the part of uh, Senate President Stivers and Leader Thayer. They can count votes. There's not even enough Democratic votes in the Senate to get expanded gaming done, uh, much less in the Republican caucus. So uh, Attorney General Bashir can talk all day about how it's just an effort to sink his proposals, but they're being realistic with voters, and anything less, I think, would be, frankly, political malpractice. Is, do you think the Republican opposition is uh, solely uh, uh, concerns about it as a social issue? I, I think it's concerns with what they've heard from their voters back in their districts. These are folks that they get sent to Frankfurt to represent those people in their districts. And they've told them expanded gaming is not something they want to see in their communities. Um, it may be popular in some communities, but we elect senators and representatives from all over the Commonwealth. I think to, uh, to get this problem fixed and, and others, it's going to take uh, leadership from, from someone who can build consensus, uh, and it'll take vision. I think what you're hearing from the Bashir campaign is um, looking at several options for uh, what it would take to create new revenue. I think the, the governor, the current governor, I believe, just <clears throat> I think he has an ideology that says that um, there is only one way to raise revenue in the state, and that is 
um, you know, people coming in and, and uh, more people coming in, more people working. I think that is his worldview. Um, I happen to think that there are more options to create revenue in the state, um, and that, that's what Bashir is talking about. How big an issue is health care going to be in this race? Uh, as far as the expansion of Medicaid goes, I mean, really the issue that it comes down to, and, and I agree, everyone that needs health insurance should have it, should have access to care. But the problem we run into is paying for it. And if it becomes unsustainable, then the folks that really need it, the, the, those with dependents, those that are unable to care for themselves, are going to be people that lose it. So I think the governor's proposals are sensible. I think they are, go towards fixing a problem uh, of funding that we just currently don't have an answer for. Projections say that uh, with the Medicaid waiver, um, some 95,000 people um, who have insurance now will, not, will no longer have it. Um, we're also talking about a, a $200 million uh, infrastructure of bureaucracy um, that we know will cause folks to, um, to no longer have health insurance. It's the same thing that happened in Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas, it's the same thing that'll happen here. Uh, what's worse is that I saw research that said of Medicaid-eligible folks, um, more than half the folks don't even know about the changes that are being proposed. 54%, um, I think, is what I saw, and then 61%. Uh, folks of color, black, um, Latinx, and others um, don't know the changes that are being proposed. More than that, folks who are eligible for Medicaid, um, most will meet that requirement. And so we're talking about folks who we know will meet the requirement, but we're building a $200, uh, $200 million infrastructure um, uh, bureaucracy that we know will cause folks to be kicked out of the system. I just don't think that it's worth it at the end of the day. Uh, these candidates want to frame different issues. They want people to make their decision based on different things. As, as we know, the uh, governor obviously has uh, uh, very much emphasized abortion as an issue in the campaign. Uh, Bashir obviously has uh, very much emphasized education and in the, in the, in, in higher education. <laughs> but will this be as the governor also says, it should be decided partially as a, a national referendum on some of the national issues and, uh, and in-state issues. And Bashir says, this is an all-Kentucky decision. Which is it? You know, I, I think people are going to want to make a lot out of the results uh, on in first Tuesday in November. Whether or not it's a narrow victory for the governor or a total blowout one way or another, uh, you know, the talking heads at CNN are going to come up with all kinds of projections about how this impacts uh, the national race. So, of course, it makes sense that President Trump's going to come in, want to support Governor Bevin. But, you know, ultimately, President Trump still enjoys an over 60% approval rating in Kentucky. Um, so, if the race is a national issue, then I think Governor Bevin's in a really good position. Uh, for the governor, I think this is pure politics. He's the least popular governor in the country. Um, and Trump happens to be uh, fairly popular in this state. And so, if I were him, I'd be talking about the president, too. Uh, do you think a Trump uh, visit will make a difference for uh, Bevin? We'll certainly see. And do you assume I, that it would? I, I, I know that it will. Uh, President Trump has a loyal base of supporters that, frankly, may even be uh, lukewarm on Governor Bevin. Um, because I, I can tell you this. I know a lot of people that are voting for Governor Bevin. I know a lot of people that are voting against Andy Bashir. I know a lot of people that are voting against Governor Bevin. I don't know anybody that's voting for Andy Bashir. Well, we'll take a break, and we're coming back in a moment. What happens over the next two weeks or so uh, before that election coming up on November 5th? We'll talk about that, and then Neil Chatterjee talks energy with us in just a bit here on Kentucky Newsmakers. 
Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're delighted you're with us. We're talking about this feisty campaign we have for a Kentucky governor and the state offices. Christian Motley is a Democratic activist and strategist, and Adam Haley is the Republican Party of Kentucky's youth chairman. And uh, they know that it is a time right now that uh, folks are really paying attention uh, to this election. It took a while to get here. I mean, it's it, we're to the point now people are really making their decisions. Yeah, well, I think campa campaigns are out in the field. I know the Bashir campaign has knocked hundreds of thousands of doors and made contact with, with folks, and you're going to start to see more and more coming over your TV uh, and the airwaves uh, in, the, in, the coming, in the coming weeks. But it's all about turnout at this point. How much difference does that make, that, that personal contact, knocking on doors, talking to voters, urging them to go to the polls? I, I think it's absolutely crucial, and, um, you know, the Republican Party has an amazing field game. Our data is second to none. So we're out there, we're talking to voters. I, I know I've personally been out uh, knocking doors in Lexington and all across the Commonwealth. Uh, and voters are ready to go. They're, they're energized and uh, I'm looking forward to a good first Tuesday. And Republican data is only second to the Democratic data. <laughs> <laughs> how much does, uh, how much can a, a popular political figure transfer their popularity? How much can, uh, uh, if, if people have their differences with Governor Bevin, how much difference can a, a visit by President Trump make? If people were lukewarm with Andy Bashir and, and they were strongly for Rocky Adkins and he's now going through the mountains looking for votes, uh, how much uh, can he transfer uh, over to Bashir? I think it's always better when, uh, can, when uh, candidates and, and leaders are, are working together. So there will always be some impact. You know, I do think it is, it is important. We all know in the primary, Rocky did very well in Eastern mm -hmm. Kentucky. I, back in my days at the party, I remember seeing Poland that, that, that showed how popular he was um, in the region. Um, I'm glad that he's out there. I think it will make impact on the race. Also know that, again, President Trump, I saw an article in, in Politico maybe a week ago that talked about how it was all hands on deck because they know that there are implications for the presidential race based on uh, how uh, the races go uh, here in the state. So I think that's gonna happen, but I do think it's limited, right? At the end of the day, um, candidates present their platform. Um, uh, other leaders that may support them may open access or entree to, to other voters, but at the, end of the, at the end of the day, it is the experience, it is the platform of the current candidates um, that will win the day. You know, I, I agree, and I think, honestly, at the end of the election, the question is, uh, are Kentucky voters better off four years ago than, better off now than they were four years ago? Um, I do think President Trump's visit is, is going to help the campaign because it's a question of energy. It's a question of getting those folks uh, motivated and get out to the polls, uh, especially in an off-year election where we know turnout's going to be low. Uh, energizing that base of President Trump supporters can help. And this word turnout keeps coming up. Where do the Republicans have to turn out their vote? <sighs> That's a tough question. I, I don't know if I have an exact figure in mind, but, um, you know, Again, it, it's all about energizing that base. Is there a part of the state, though, that they where they have to, uh, to, to turn out uh, more? Certainly, we're doing better in rural communities as we see the rest of the state start to turn more and more red. Uh, but that, that's not to ignore that the very conservative pockets of Lexington and Louisville, and especially northern Kentucky, uh, having folks turn out there as well. Um, and, and just driving enthusiasm. And where do the Democrats have to turn Yeah, out? I think typically folks like to talk about um, the Democratic strongholds being in Lexington and Louisville, um, but I think that um, Bashir presents um, uh, uh, an interesting case because I think he's going to compete in Western Kentucky, uh, where his family is from, where he did where he did actually really well um, in the primary. Recent polling. Uh, in northern Kentucky showed that it's basically neck and neck in northern Kentucky. I think eastern Kentucky is going to be a real battleground, and I think that's why you're seeing folks like Rocky 
uh, coming out and, and supporting Bashir in the way that he has. About a minute left. We have a, a hard-fought race for Kentucky Attorney General. Uh, the Republicans have not elected an Attorney General since the 1940s. Will Democrat Greg Stumbo, who held that office before, claim it again, or will Republicans be able to elect Daniel Cameron, who would also make history as the first African-American to uh, hold that office? How do you see this race right now? Mr. Cameron and I are of, of different parties. I do believe that that would be, um, that would certainly be a first here in Kentucky, but I also believe that that race um, is going to come down to experience, and it's just clear um, that he does not have the experience that Greg Stumbo has as Attorney General. Uh, it's clear that uh, uh, Greg Stumbo is going to be a, a, a strong leader. He's held that position before. He knows what it looks like, um, and I, I think he's going to be successful. I think it absolutely comes down to experience because Kentucky voters have plenty of experience with Greg Stumbo and it's the same reason that they sent him home in 2016. Uh, Greg Stumbo has led that office uh, into partisan political gain for his party and himself and I don't think that's what voters expect out of the Attorney General. They expect the Attorney General to be the Chief Law Enforcement Officer, a position which uh, Mr. Cameron is committed to. He has the endorsement of the FOP uh, and has publicly come out and said that if he is so lucky to be elected, he'll serve his full two terms as opposed to pursuing higher office. I assume you'll both be busy over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. We Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Hope you stay with us here on WKYT. We're coming back in just a moment and you'll find out why Lexington native Neil Chatterjee is home to talk energy issues in the week ahead. It's next on Kentucky Newsmakers. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. The nation's top energy regulator is home in Lexington to talk about the future of American energy. Neil Chatterjee is chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. He's a champion of coal, but he's invited environmentalists and coal executives to the Envision Forum Summit that is going to be going on in Lexington next week. Mr. Chairman, welcome. We appreciate you coming in. Thank you for having me. Great to be home. Let's remind our viewers about your Lexington connections. You grew up here. I grew up here in Lexington, graduate of uh, Henry Clay High School. My parents were uh, uh, cancer researchers at the Marquis Cancer Center at the University of Kentucky. Uh, met my wife, uh, Rebecca Bohan, at Henry Clay, and uh, we're now married and have three kids, and uh, this will always be home to me. And you've been uh, taking part in the bourbon chase this weekend, so somebody talked you into that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, your goal for this summit that's uh, coming up uh, uh, this week. Does getting out of Washington uh, give a different perspective uh, for folks? There's no doubt about it. Look, the country is undergoing an incredible transition in the energy space. And a lot of Americans are benefiting from that transition, but it's not being felt equally everywhere. Uh, Kentucky, with the decline we're seeing in coal-fired generation, is being hurt. And I wanted to get national policymakers and decision makers in the energy space, bring them to my hometown, and have them meet with Kentuckians and get a sense of the challenges that we are facing in the, uh, in the energy transition. So when you talk about energy, in this case, even at this conference, you will talk about the economics of that. The economics all the way around. What happens in coal communities when the power plants and the mines that feed them shut down? What the real economic and social consequences of that are? But I also am 
wanting to introduce Kentuckians to leaders in the energy transition. So I've invited a host of folks who are in the clean energy space, from Amazon to Microsoft to battery storage representatives, solar, wind, advanced technologies. I want these folks to come and meet with our economic development leaders uh, and folks in government and in the community here so that Kentuckians can learn about what the opportunities might be in this energy transition. Mr. Chairman, as you know, we have seen tremendous job losses in the coal fields in recent years they, with the environmental pressures and the marketplace turning away from coal. Uh, is there some role for coal that we can't easily see that, uh, that, that might be an available path? Well, I want to be clear. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this forum in Kentucky. The national conversation about coal, you would think coal's already dead. Coal's still 25% of the generation mix in the United States. I think it's about 80% of the generation mix here in Kentucky, 40% of the generation mix globally. So coal is still essential for electric reliability. That said, I've been very encouraged to see you know, the University of Kentucky has a advanced uh, energy research program looking at uh, future uses for coal. Um, my former boss, Senator McConnell, has been a leader in pushing for clean coal technologies. And so I've been very proud to see folks here in the Commonwealth working to, to, to find a path forward for these coal communities. Is it possible to get coal clean enough that uh, environmental groups uh, would be satisfied with its use. So I think what we're seeing now is increasingly pressure to move away from fossil fuel generation altogether. So I don't know that you'll ever be able to satisfy the environmental opposition to coal and fossil fuel use. At the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, my foremost responsibility is the reliability of the grid. We want to make sure that when Americans go and hit the switch, the lights come on. And right now, coal has to play an important role in that. We could not maintain the reliability of the grid in certain regions of the country without coal. So we need to figure out how to do it in an environmentally friendly way. What should we know about the nation's power grid? Uh, how secure is it? So one of the great things about the energy transition, consumers are seeing tremendous benefits from new technology that benefit comes with a downside risk, and that is that we are increasingly vulnerable to physical and cyber attacks on our energy infrastructure. And our adversaries are aware of that. And uh, the reality is now private sector companies, electric utilities, are suddenly finding themselves at the front lines of modern warfare. Uh, an outage, a grid outage, an attack on a pipeline, an attack on a substation or power plant could have significant national security implications. Should this country be, uh, you know, better prepared for something like this? Should we be thinking in terms of what we would do if we were suddenly in the dark or in the cold? We are. Uh, uh, and, and so I want to assure your viewers that uh, uh, officials at the federal level, at the state level, uh, in the private sector, um, our, our international allies, we are all collaborating uh, across different sectors, energy, telecom, banking. We are all cognizant of the realities of these potential threats and are constantly working together to be vigilant, uh, diligent in the face and vigilant in the face of these threats. Are we, uh, and, and again, you know, don't compromise anything that you couldn't tell sure. us, but are, are there times that, that we have had a real concern where we almost had uh, something go down? 
Fortunately, uh, uh, we have continued to, to, to work together to keep up our defenses to thwart these threats, uh, but I don't rest on my laurels on it. Uh, it's something that uh, we wake up every day wanting to ensure the, the reliability and security of the grid. Renewables, uh, is, is that the future of energy, do you think? So there's no question originally, and at their onset, renewables and the growth in renewables was driven by regulations and government subsidies. I think we're to a point now, though, that renewables can compete on their own footing. Renewables make good business sense. And if we get a breakthrough in battery storage technology, where you can co-locate intermittent resources like wind and solar with the storage to offset the times when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing, that could be really exciting. Energy Secretary Rick Perry uh, has announced he is leaving his position after three years at the end of this year. Uh, are you a potential candidate for that position? I am not. Uh, I really appreciate Secretary Perry's leadership and his service. Uh, I am hopeful that uh, the Deputy Secretary, uh, Dan Briette, who's a good friend of mine, who has spent a considerable amount of time in the Commonwealth, I'm hopeful that he is elevated to the position. I committed uh, to the president, uh, to the Senate that confirmed me that I would serve out my term at FERC, which runs through June of 2021, and I intend to fulfill that commitment. You enjoy coming home, don't you? I love it here. <laughs> do, do you uh, think there's a time when you would return, and if so, would you uh, be interested in a political office yourself? Or? I, uh, you know, I've got three young kids who are growing up in the Northern Virginia area, and so it would be difficult for me to uproot them now. Uh, but certainly, with this being home to both my wife and I, uh, we always talk about it and think about it and dream about it. Uh, in terms of a future run for political office, right now I've got so much on my plate trying to, uh, to keep the lights on, uh, I haven't given it any thought. Uh, and you'll have this conference coming up this week, there'll be people from all over there? all over uh, uh, the federal government, state governments. Uh, uh, we've got international leaders participating. We've got uh, representatives from coal, nuclear, uh, wind, solar, storage, consumer advocates, environmentalists, a real wide array of, uh, of leaders and decision makers in the energy space. We've got administration officials that are graciously spending their time to come and address us. And uh, it should be a, a thoughtful, uh, substantive, and hopefully fun experience. Chairman Chatterjee, thanks for coming by. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Stay with WKYT for campaign 2019 coverage. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. Make it a good week ahead.